You're listening to The Riff, a podcast where Matt Black sits down between sessions to chat about industry happenings and creative musings. On this episode, we chat about the gig economy, its highs, lows, and its future. Hey there, and welcome to The Riff. I'm Micah Haykoop, the Director of Operations at Matt Black, and I'm here today with... Jonathan Godino, Project Manager here at Matt Black. And this is a podcast first, so Jonathan, thank you for jumping on the pod. Um, and we were we were talking earlier about the gig economy, um, an idea that's been around for a bit. But post Memorial Day weekend, so last night I was at a barbecue, and there were some. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this out: parents of college kids there. So this is like you're squarely in like squarely in like the Gen X, right yeah. range. Um, and I was I found myself explaining the concept of like the Google suite of online tools to a bunch of 60 or maybe like 55 to 65 year old parents. And one of these parents was very convinced that I should charge all of her friends $80 an hour to help them figure out how to use their remotes and like switch between like Netflix on Apple TV. And I was explaining Slingbox to them and why they didn't have to pay for cable anymore. Um, and so I don't know what that app is. Like there should be an app where millennials can explain technology to parents. That's like a, there's like a whole. Like a technological task rabbit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it'd be task, task rabbit, but it's, it's literally like, I'll come look at your remotes. Actually, what I thought it could be is you take a picture of your remotes and submit it to this app and it knows what you have mm-hmm. and then could just tell you off of that photo, what you're supposed to do to watch Netflix or, or whatever. Yeah. My whole thing was though, that like, their their kids it's not that they don't get it it's just that their kids don't have the patience to explain it correctly um but it kind of made us think about the whole idea behind the gig economy and the fact that a ton of creatives um to fill gaps in whether it be projects or while they're working on something they're passionate about can work for like a handy or a task rabbit or a postmate tube or lift whatever um and jonathan you yourself were indeed a lift driver for a bit because of this 36 completed rides. 36 completed rides. So you were doing it because you were working on a on your own business and were just de- you were doing something to fund that, right? Um, yeah. So in between digital advertising jobs, I was working on, you know, doing a, a wine startup, a subscription-based thing that me and my friend were kind of putting the business plan together for. And so I thought I could use some extra money to help pay for the utilities and other things in life. And I, I started doing Lyft because Uber seemed, you know, sketchy. Everyone's just like against Uber, especially recently, apparently, yeah. with all the stuff in the media. And Lyft is kind of like they had like the mustache thing and they would like pound it. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know you, if you remember they used that. to fist bump They used you. to fist bump everybody when they got yeah. in the car. And so it seemed like friendlier and like more down to earth for like creatives in between jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like it had some benefits, but I think, my, and it brings up my, my main issue with the gig economy is that I don't think it has any long lasting benefits for an individual. And so while it's good to help you in like one month or two months, or I don't know, even up to a year when you have downtime, like what's your 401k, what's your... Um, health insurance, like, you know, as a contractor, you don't have that W-2 and you get hit with like a huge tax bill the following year. And there's like a lot of things that like there's not really answers to mm-hmm. um, with the gig economy that people are kind of just ignoring. Yeah. I want for me, like 
the big question is, does the unstructured work actually end up inhibiting you getting to where you're trying to go, right? So part of the benefit that, that's always said is like, oh, you can work on your hours, right? But if you think about the idea of starting something, quote unquote, I hate using the word, but like creative, or like let's say you're going after X, Y, Z, if you, if you have a side hustle or a job, like let's say you're part-time, you're, ser- you're a server at a restaurant or something that has very set hours, you know when you have to work and there's no, you don't have to convince yourself to work every time, right? With something, I feel like inside the gig economy, there's a lot of convincing yourself like, all right, like I got to get on the clock and I got to do X amount of rides or you can like jump on and off a bunch and something you should have done in five hours takes you eight hours, you know, and you weren't efficient with that time. I'd be curious to see like a group of people talking about if it actually brought them the freedom and money that they needed to succeed and like push their projects forward. Or if at the end of the day, it's so hard, especially I, I think with a, with a creative mind to produce that structure for yourself when you can literally do anything, any jobs that you want, any time that you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we were talking about surrounding the gig economy was, uh, whether or not that, so you were talking about the long-term piece for the individual employees. I'm, I continue to be curious about the long-term piece for all of us who use it. So I would say at this office, we are big Postmates users. Mm-hmm. We are also big Uber, like big Uber users. Um, but whenever we use, I've used TaskRabbit for two things and both times I got the final bill and was just like, Oh my God. This is the most expensive thing I've ever done in my life. It's like a one hour minimum. So even if it takes them like 10 minutes to do whatever you want, you're charged for like that flat hour fee of like 45 bucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they're taking 30% from that person. So if I'm that person, we were reading this New Yorker article about gig economy and one of their best, one of the best people on TaskRabbit charged $55 an hour. So after 30%, he made $40 an hour-ish right? Mm-hmm. Um, whatever taxes and such on top of that. But then, and it said that he had done everything from like making a bunch of beds for Casper, the brand. He had written a best man speech for someone, which I thought was pretty amazing. Cause he was like an, he was a writer. He was hanging a lot of picture frames. That was a big thing. That was a big thing for him. I don't, I'm just curious as to like, is he making the money that he needs I'm overspending on this thing that like I kind of need, but I may not do multiple times. How much disposable income do we have available between all these apps to continue keeping them alive? Or do we think they're going to contract in a big way? Well, because the idea here, right, is that with Postmates, the more people join the system and the more people who are purchasing um, will kind of alleviate cash flow and then eventually they can bring their like delivery rates, like cost down Mm -hmm. so they'll be more affordable to you as more people use the system yeah but these things only really work well in like big cities you know yeah and i feel like millennials there's like the whole conversation about millennials moving to back into um urban areas Mm -hmm. um and kind of like fleeing the suburbs Mm -hmm. but the majority of the united states population is still in the suburbs Mm -hmm. and i feel like my mom who lives in a track home. One, she doesn't even know what Postmates is. And two, she would feel weird about using that. Yeah. You know? So like I feel like I agree with you. Like we're never gonna hit that like breaking point 
to where it's like cost effective for everybody involved because enough people are on the platform. I wonder if you could, I wonder if eventually what we should do is just mold Uber, Postmates and TaskRabbit to where you just have super handy drivers. And so you're putting together like the ultimate schedule of picking up people, food, and then maybe they drop the food off at apartment one and they walk over to apartment two and install a frame and then they drive someone from apartment three, like down the block. And then you're able to just, you're like getting paid on top of that. And we've really consolidated it because otherwise like small town, like how many task grabs do you really need? And how long is that person going to sit around for you to be like, I don't feel like picking up my own Applebee's order. So I think the moral of the story, one decent fallback. If, if, uh, anything ever doesn't work out with your creative job, but two, we're curious here as to like other people's experience in this, how it's worked. If anyone's ever really been able to truly merge this and a creative pursuit, if so, that's amazing. And we should have them write an article for the shapeshift report, but we'd love to hear about it. Yeah. So if you have done this, please email us and let us know. Specifically, I'm kind of interested in like graphic designers and copywriters who use like Upwork and mm. other other um, systems like that and how much freelance work they've gotten through these things. Because mm -hmm. like, you know, most of the podcasts we talked about the gig economy for like delivery type things. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm curious if it works really well for someone where it matches with their creative pursuit. You know? Yeah. Well, I think the gig economy used to be, it used to be that it was, oh, you're creative and you do a bunch of different small creative things. Yeah. And then all these apps were kind of like, oh, anyone can participate in the gig economy. But now, so, and what you, what you're saying as far as like people who are grabbing it from online, are those more viable sources for actually like making a career? Or do you think that those are still where you're because of the middleman of the system, you're, you can't make enough money to really sustain yourself. I think those might be a good platform for viably making like a freelance career as a graphic designer because it allows more people to find you more easily mm. and like it provides you with more opportunities than like you reaching out to people or like mm -hmm. cold calling people or like trying to find work in that manner. It's just like another avenue for you to find more consistent work. But I'd be curious to hear from somebody who actually does that. Actually does say. that. The because at the end of the day, the thing that you're giving up, this is the same as anyone else, right? Like if you're paying like cost per click or you have brick and mortar, the thing that you're always paying for is like traffic and customers. And so if you're the type, if you're not able to produce those types of projects for yourself as a freelancer, and there's a system that can help find you projects, is it worth it to you to give up X percentage? Right? Would you have had to spend that or would you have had that much dead time trying to find someone to pay you your full rate instead of 70% of your rate? So it makes sense. I mean, if you're kind of putting yourself out there as a brand in a store, you know, um, but again, I think this, pro this was a problem that was presented way back even when like Etsy was first getting big and they were breaking out like how much people were working. It was, ended up being like for like $4 and 50 cents an hour or whatever, right? After like you were expected to have kind of a cheap price on this craft and then there was shipping and then Etsy took their cut and whatever other like merchant services you had to pay for, you were just what you were like slaving away for no money. Um, so I'm curious as to like the most successful people on these platforms, how successful can you truly be? Maybe really, maybe I should quit this job and go do that, but, <laughs> but would be interesting to hear.